All right, and welcome everybody to a special edition episode of Hattrick Sports Talk. This came together quite quickly. <laughs> uh, Call here wanted to do a fun pod for you all uh, with myself, uh, doing some NFL mock drafts. So we're about a couple weeks away from the draft, which is going to be pretty weird considering it'll be quite virtual, such as this, such as what we're doing here. Uh, but we're going to go through every pick, all 32 teams, and uh, do some kind of prospect analysis. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm, I've been looking forward to this. That's why I kind of want to do it kind of fast, so that way we could just have some natural reactions. So this should be good. All right, so I'm going to share my screen. We are using NFL.com's Predict the Pick. You guys can all check that out. I'll link that uh, probably on our Facebook page, on our Mixcloud, so you guys can uh, send us uh, your mock drafts. We're going to do this in tandem. You guys can send us your mock drafts, and we can see who ends up being right. Yeah. Uh, so I am going to share my screen, and here we go. You see that? Yep, I got it. Okay, uh, so you're going to have the first pick, and I'm going to have the second pick, and we'll go in that order down all the way to 32. Cole, you are up with the first pick. Who does Roger Goodell announce to open the draft? Yeah, first pick, I think, for most people, is going to be pretty unanimous. I, I'm going to go with Joe Burrow um, for quite obvious reasons. But I think most importantly, he's he's proven to be a winner. He has the right attitude to kind of be a franchise quarterback, kind of a culture-changing quarterback. So I think this is the pick that the Bengals make. Uh, so you and I have been not so hot on Burrow being the number one guy going off the board. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just – I think there's a lot more development than these other quarterbacks down this list. How do you feel about Joe Burrow and sort of how he's going to develop, especially in his rookie season? Yeah, I don't know that he's the quarterback that people think he's going to be. I think it's going to be a little bit, like you said, of something that's going to take some time. I think you're going to need to see some some development as far as, like, scheme-wise for him to be able to feel comfortable in a system. Um I think that's to do with being the fact that he really only had one breakout year and that was this year. So, I mean, it obviously it took some time for him in college. I don't think it's going to be as quick as it is in the NFL. I just, I think he lacks certain like arm talent skills and he's not extremely mobile. So I think he's going to struggle a little bit, but what he, what he doesn't have in that he does make up for in character and stuff like that. And people really seem to rally around him. So, I mean, if you're looking for a guy to, change your culture this is probably the best pick just because of like I said you can get guys to buy in to him and what he's trying to do Uh, I think the biggest question is Zach Taylor how does he work with him you know you're not under this Joe Brady system that he was so successful with historically successful at LSU and that I, I mean I think Zach Taylor is ready for a young quarterback I'm just not sure he's exactly the right fit for that yeah, I agree. I think you're going to really find out about Zach Taylor, though, in the next couple of years with this. All right. At number two, the Redskins are on the clock. This is also quite easy. Chase Young, defensive te- or defensive uh, lineman out of Ohio State, basically kind of an edge guy. Uh, yeah. Best player in the class. I think consensus, best player in the class. Um, I, I I like him more than both of the Bosa brothers, honestly. I think he has more talent and skill coming in and coming into this draft than both of them did coming out. How do you feel about that? I think it's a fair analysis. I mean, I think we, we've seen 
how good of an athlete he is. He led the country with 16 and a half sacks and he missed a couple of games. So, I mean, that that's pretty remarkable when you're missing games, but you're still leading the nation in sacks. Um, I agree with you. He's, he's the best all around player in this class, but I think what separates him um, from some of the, or I guess since we're talking about the Bosa brothers is um, he has the speed and strength capability. I feel like Joey's a little bit more speed. Nick Bosa's a little bit more technique, but this guy really seems to have both of those things like down really well for even still being pretty, pretty young. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely generational talent. I don't see how you can pass up on that. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I think that's pretty simple for the Redskins. They are thinking about quarterback. I think pretty clearly at this point, they're focused on Chase Young. Uh, so that, those two, I think, are definitely going to stand unless we see some trading. Obviously, we're not doing trading here, so yeah. the Lions might consider trading back. But in this case, in this world, no trades. Uh, who do you have with the Lions at three? I got them taking Jeff Okuda. I think it's it's too much uh, talent. I do think they stay with this pick unless they get a really crazy offer because you need – they really need a corner after getting rid of Slay and Quandre Diggs' departure. Quandre Diggs is obviously not cornerback, but that secondary definitely needs some work. And Patricia likes to play that man-to-man coverage, and this guy is perfect mold for that. As you saw on tape and stuff at Ohio State, he's as close to a lockdown corner as they come. I think this pick makes more sense to me if Darius Slay is still there. Uh, that's where I have a difficult time with this. And that's where I think the Lions are more than likely out of any team in this top five to trade down. Because I think that while they have a big hole at corner at this moment, I think they were, they were better served keeping Slay and adding Okuda than just adding Okuda. I don't think that's yeah. the best move for them necessarily. So that's why I think trading down might be where they end up, what they end up doing here. That's kind of what's difficult for me, though, is because I would have really liked to see Slay next to Okuda. I, that would have been a really good, like, two-man coverage corners, and they play, like, the most man in the NFL. So it would have been fun to see. But I think you're probably right. I mean, I think it, it would have been better if they could have kept Slay. But I just feel like after losing that, you, you need someone out there. That's why I take the pick here. Yeah, I, I agree. I like his length. I like his size. You said man-to-man coverage is big for the Lions in that system. He fits yeah. well. It's just I think they need to get him another mate in the secondary, which is what Darius Slate couldn't have in his Lions career, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number four, my number two player in this whole class, Isaiah Simmons, a guy who can play linebacker, a guy who can play safety. He's all over the map. He's been compared to Brian Erlacher. I'm not sure if I'll go that far. But he is, other than Chase Young, I understand Chase Young and his talent, but I really, really love Isaiah Simmons, and he fits perfectly with what the Giants are going to do defensively moving forward in sort of that money-backer role. I really, really love Simmons' talent. And he showed a lot of speed at the Combine, which I think blew away a lot of scouts. Yeah, he's the perfect linebacker for today's NFL. He's very versatile, as you said. Um, But I think also what you're getting with this guy is you're getting a a person with great character, great attitude to really kind of help start to put some pieces on that Giants defense that has really been pretty bad as of late. But uh, this guy is definitely a difference maker. Um, One thing I do want to point out with this pick is some people are trending in the direction towards a offensive tackle or something for the Giants. But I, I have this pick too as a player that has too much talent 
for you to pass up on. I, I don't know that the Giants line is as bad as they need a defensive piece to kind of build around. It is bad, but you can't, you can't skip out on a prospect like Simmons, especially at this spot. I agree. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants do do an offensive lineman pick. And as you look down this list, Jedrick Wills, Makai Becton, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs. This is one of the best O-linemen classes, at least looking at the first round, we've seen in a long while. But even considering that, as I said, you don't pass up on Isaiah Simmons' talent. But they might because the Giants and what they do in their, in their GM, and I mean, they're kind of all over the place with the draft. It would not surprise me if they go O-line at this spot. They definitely come up with some innovative things to do in the draft. But uh, I think you're right. I think this is probably the pick to make just based off talent alone. Yeah. All right. So you're at number five, Miami Dolphins. All right, Dolphins, I'm taking Tua. I think this is this is too too much upside to be passing on. I think if you hit on this, you're getting the best, obviously the best quarterback in this draft. But, I mean, overall talent and attitude and culture that this guy can bring to an organization. I think the biggest thing for him going here is they re-sign Fitz and, you know, he can sit for a full year and really take a year off. But I think the Dolphins have really shown the ability that they can kind of fill out a roster around him. So I don't know that they feel the need to go and get, let's say, a Derek Brown or, you know, something like that. I mean, obviously Herbert would probably be the other option that they're probably leaning towards but I just feel like the upside on Tua outweighs what Justin Herbert is most likely going to be we'll get to Herbert more later on but Mm -hmm. I will say this I don't think Tua goes in the top 10 I don't and the only reason why I don't is I think teams are too concerned about the, the 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 hip and at this point considering where we're at situationally with the world and everything they they just don't know. And based, I think Matt Miller, who's done great reporting here throughout the draft, he said that the Dolphins have really shifted to Herbert. It would not surprise me. And as we go to number six, I'll kind of get to if I'll take the quarterback or not for the Chargers. But I, I think Herbert will be the selection here. I disagree with it. I think Tua is a better overall prospect. And I don't think you can make the argument that, oh, he's an Alabama quarterback and all this stuff. He's so much different than any other Alabama quarterback that's come through Nick Saban's system. He's, he's, he's ready for the pros more than any other quarterback he's ever had. But at the same time, I think teams are more concerned than even us in the media really believe. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I don't really see that kind of Alabama quarterback label on him just because of how much they started throwing the ball. Usually in the past, they've really stuck to a run game and they really opened it up for two and you could really see his arm talent and stuff like that. I just think that it would be really hard for, I mean, you're saying fall outside the top 10. I I understand, but I I just feel like someone's trading up for that upside. It's just, it would be hard for me to see him going past number five even I think I just feel someone's gonna m- make that move and take that leap of faith but like you said it's it's hard right now with the way things are that you can't get a you can't get a real feel for how his hip is and stuff like that you can't but you know I just feel like the the upside and the ceiling is way too much reward there 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely would agree. I, I mean, maybe the trade-up thing, but even that I'm not sure because I don't know how much value teams are going to be willing to give up just yeah. because of that concern. The Chargers do not take a quarterback with this pick. They take Derrick Brown. They are committed to Tyrod Taylor, whether you agree with it or not. And I think for you and I, we probably don't agree with it at all. Yeah. They are committed to him, at least for right now. And I really like Derrick Brown's skill set, especially on the defensive side. Yeah. Derrick Brown is definitely a talent. I just feel the Chargers have too many pieces on that defense already. I just feel they need to get that guy in there. That's where I would have gone with Herbert there, and that's where we're going to differ. But I, I, I think Derek Brown is a solid selection. I think you're getting a really talented player. I just feel like when you got Joey Bosa, you got Melvin Ingram, you got to start to fill that quarterback need sooner or later. But you're right. I think the, the Chargers are more confident in Tyrod Taylor than a lot of people believe. And I, I, speaking on Derrick Brown, I love his size. I love his physicality. Him and Bosa together, I think, work perfectly. And as we've seen with uh, teams even like the Chiefs and the Niners who made the Super Bowl, it's all about the defensive line and really building it. And the Chargers continue that with this pick, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I guess then with the Panthers at seven, I'm going to go with Javon Kinlaw. I feel like they they really need that defensive anchor after losing Gerald McCoy and some of those guys on the defensive side. Um, it, it would have been Derek Brown for me here, but I think this guy has a lot. I think he has more upside than Derek Brown. I think this guy is a freak athlete. He, he's like 6'6", and he, he ran a good 40 time. He, he's, a, he's a monster, and he can be that kind of menace in the middle that I think Carolina needs. I, I love Javon Kinlaw. I love his story. A guy, a homeless kid trying to come up to the NFL. It's a, sadly a classic story in the league, but it, his story is incredible, and he's got so much talent. And the Panthers, I think, especially with this new coaching staff focused on rebuilding the team, he's a great pick for that spot. Yeah. Maybe a little high than I think people would have expected, but considering that Derek Brown went before him, I'm not too mad about the pick at all. Yeah, just just based off Derek Brown going before, but I, I think this guy, I think there's a certain range in there from that probably seven spot to that like fifteen spot where he can kind of go in any of those spots there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, the Cardinals. I have a pick of the litter litter with the O line. Um, I am taking an offensive lineman. I really like all of them, but the one guy I like him more than anybody on this list is Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. Really? He's a guy that I, I still have as the number one offensive lineman in this class. Uh, looking at him in Georgia, and, and, you know, it, it's a big program, but also Georgia has a prefera of offensive linemen in the NFL. They have some of the best developmental teams for that O-line, and that's kind of where I stand with that pick. What are you feeling about that? Yeah, I – I think it's a solid pick. I would have gone with worse just because I feel like he's a little bit more of a kind of an athletic mold. I think that fits kind of what the Cardinals are scheme-wise are trying to do and Kyler Murray getting out of the pocket and stuff like that. Uh, I think you can't go wrong here. I think any 
to be honest, any of these top four offensive linemen are kind of interchangeable as is kind of what you want to go for. But like I said, Werfs started to climb some uh, mock draft boards lately just because of how, like I said, his speed and his quickness. And I think that to me is probably where I would put him at the Cardinals instead of maybe some of the other teams just because of scheme and the way Kingsbury's offense works. But I, like you said, Andrew Thomas has really proven he's been going up against SEC competition. You know what I mean? It doesn't get any better than that. So, you know, you, you kind of, you can kind of pick and choose whoever you kind of like in here. Yeah. I think that's what makes it so hard for me is that really any of these four can do so many good things. This is one of the rare offensive lineman drafts where no matter where these guys go, I don't think we'd be too surprised. Yeah, definitely. All right, Jags at nine. All right, Jags. Um, I guess I'm going to go with Jedrick Wills then, just because originally I probably would have addressed the defensive line. I probably would have gone Javon Kinlaw, but I feel like you got to start to build pieces around uh, presumably a franchise quarterback eventually here, I would hope. And I think that you're going to see in this range, I think this Cardinals, Jaguars, Browns, Jets, I think this is where you're going to see that run of offensive linemen that we were talking about. And this guy is graded number one overall. So I think the talent precedes any of the other little stuff that I was talking about, like with um, Werfs, where he's a little bit quicker. I think you're just going to take the overall best pass protector here. Yeah. I, I mean, as you said, I think the run on alignment starts at eight and goes down to 11. With the Browns at 11, I'm taking Makai Becton. This guy is one of my favorite prospects in the whole class because the guy is, is so strong. I mean, his strength is amazing. You see clips of him literally dragging Ford trucks down a road. You saw him at the Combine and what he was able to do in terms of all these strength drills. I really like Makai Becton. And fitting there with the Browns with that sort of hard-nosed, AFC North, cold-weather, hard-hitting culture that the Browns have, Kai Becton fits really well. Definitely. And he, he's a huge dude. So, I mean, you're getting, you're getting a solid foundation to kind of protect Baker. And I think that's what they really need to start thinking about. The, the thing with this guy, though, is, is he's really good in the run game. So, if, if, you, if you're looking to get Kareem Hunt or uh, – is oh Chubb if you're looking to get him going this guy is really good in the run game and like you said really strong so you get some downhill running but I think this is definitely a solid pick here at 10. All right at 11. At 11 I'm going Werfs then Mm -hmm. uh like we said. Wilson Werfs I feel confused I'm messing it up I think maybe. (laughs) All right go on Tristan Werfs a little bit. Yeah like I was saying with the the Cardinals I He's a really, like, instinctive, quick, uh, kind of a faster offensive lineman. I think he really fits an up-tempo scheme. I think he his footwork is really good. Um, but I think the biggest thing here is, is you're getting protection for Sam Darnold, which they drastically need to improve on. They desperately need it, and he's a great fit for that. Again, all four of these offensive linemen are great fits for that. Definitely. Uh, Raiders. C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. Uh, Simply put, uh, the Raiders and John Gruden, that's what happened when they went for Antonio Brown. They wanted speed. They wanted the number one guy, the fast guy. 
That's exactly what C.D. Lamb is. He's the fastest guy in this class. He's not the most perfect route runner, as we'll probably get to in probably the next pick here, maybe. But he, he is incredibly fast, speeding, catch the ball at pretty much any spot. But that over-the-top speed that he has is exactly what the Raiders need at this spot. Yeah, and he's, he's really good run after the catch, as you mentioned. Um, but just his overall athletic ability is really impressive to me. He's not as refined a route runner as probably the next receiver off the board, Jerry Judy, but he definitely is I – think, I think he's a little bit more talented. He just needs a little bit more refining to do. Yeah, with the route running pieces and all that, I think you're absolutely right. But again, I, I feel like the Raiders are not concerned about that right now. I feel like the Raiders are 100% concerned about getting a guy that Derek Carr or whoever else, maybe Mariota, potentially, can throw over the top two. Yeah, definitely. All right, your favorite team, as we see in the background, that yeah. logo. I bet, I bet a lot of people here who are listening to this in Seattle are not happy with this, but... I'll leave it be. I'm good with it. Uh, the <laughs> Niners, who did they take? All right, Niners. Uh, I was hoping f- that you would let CD slip, but I- I'll go with Judy here. Either one of these picks are going to be good picks, but I think Jerry Judy is the best route runner we've seen in a very long time, and we've seen a stretch of these Alabama wide receivers in the NFL that have turned out really good. You've got Calvin Ridley. You've got Julio Jones. you got you got a stretch of – good Alabama receivers, but this guy is the best route runner I've seen in a very long time. Uh, He also does possess like some very good ankle breaking moves after the catch. He's, he's better after the catch than people realize. Um, But like I said, I, I would have liked to see lamb here, but I think that's just more of a preference thing. I think if the Niners can get Judy, they really need a number one receiver. As me and you have talked about, they, they really do need a true number one that can stretch the field. And I think this guy fits Shanahan's system even a little bit more than C.D. Lamb does. I'm probably more high on him than the Niners are, but I think this guy is more flexible in what you can do with him. I, I think the biggest thing for me with Judy going to the Niners is actually the most perfect fit for him because, case in point, Emmanuel Sanders right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not exactly the same prototype, obviously, because Sanders with the Niners, obviously a little bit older, all that kind of stuff. But this fits what Garoppolo likes to do, which is not necessarily the deep ball, even though I know for you as a Niners fan, you probably would like to see that a lot more. Yes. But as, as, as we look, as you said, with Shanahan's system, it's, it's that simple. I think they're more suited for a guy that is a more pure route runner, especially when you're looking at a guy like Garoppolo, who I think needs that more than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. Definitely. I, I think, like you're saying, less deep ball, more ankle-breaking cuts and towards the middle of the field. And this guy is really good after the catch, as is C.D. Lamb. But uh, I want to pose a question to you. Let's, let's say the Niners jump up and try and make a move up higher to get a wide receiver. If they have their picks of, I've seen a lot of rugs lately. People like rugs. Yeah. If you have so your pick of rugs, Lamb, Judy, who are you going to pick? So I, I have to talk about C.D. Lamb and his speed. Uh, just obviously, of course, the fastest guy in the class is Henry Ruggs uh, with uh, that amazing uh, 4-2 speed that he had at the Combine. But 
I don't think you can go that high on Ruggs. I don't think Ruggs is at the same level as a guy like Lamb or Judy. I don't. Uh, speed isn't everything. Uh, we saw that with John Ross when he came out of Washington. He was around this sort of 13, 14, 15 range with Cincinnati. I think Ruggs is a much better player than John Ross. Don't get me wrong. I think he's going to have a much better career. But speed, yes, it kills, but it's not everything for teams necessarily. And Ruggs is not even as close as Lamb and Judy is in this class, in my opinion. I agree with you 100%. I think Lamb and Judy have separated themselves. That's why it's been a little bit weird to me to see Ruggs up so high and some of these people are comparing him to Tyreek Hill, this kind of thing. You know, I'm just not as high on it. That's why I kind of wanted to pose to you, if you could have your pick of Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, I mean, obviously to each team it varies, but um, – if you're looking at the Niners, as I said, if you're looking at the Raiders specifically, it's definitely a lamb. If you're looking at the Niners specifically, it's definitely Judy. I understand about the whole lamb thing, but again, I, I just think systematically these two teams fit perfectly for where the players are slotted. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay, okay, the Bucks. Let's see, what are we looking at here with the Bucks? I am tempted to... Uh, this is tough. I'm, I don't know what I'm tempted to do because here's the thing with running backs, right? This is where it gets weird, this slot, because are we really sure that a guy, let's say like Jonathan Stord, who had an amazing combine, or even DeAndre Swift, deserved to be selected in the top 15? I'm not ready to put them there. Yeah, I, I'm not either. And that's like, I don't think they're even going to be selected here until we get to the bottom. Yeah. I'm not ready to do that at all. Uh, we know O-line, potentially, that's kind of gone. Mm -hmm. um, safety, there's a good amount of people here at safety um, that are fun. Um, let's see. I Man, it's tough. I'm, I'm not sure if you even want – would you put safety high up here? I don't know if you would. Would you maybe? Safety has been weird in this class. Yeah, I don't know that I, I would go safety this high yet. Yeah. Uh, to me, I think the Bucks. I think the number one thing on their thing should be getting Tom Brady some off some O-line help. Yeah, or there isn't you, much there you, on the board. But. You, you could use an explosive defensive player, though. I, could, I, I mean, I could see a, a, lot of different things a case for a lot of different ways you could go here. I'll go I, – I think Tampa loves to go in-state boys. I'll go C.J. Henderson. That's I know a good it's pick. quite it's quite high, for, especially for corners. But when you're looking at the Bucks, they love to develop their young sort of Florida guys. Didn't really work with Hartgraves, mm -hmm. uh, but I think Henderson has a good shot to really develop there. And defensively, that's just another corner to add into a pretty nice cornerback group. It's not perfect, but it's nice. Yeah, I think definitely the thing to look out for the Bucks is. They they desperately need some secondary help. I think their their front seven is pretty good. I just think they need a few pieces on the back end, and this guy has a lot of upside. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily too high for where they're at. Um, but you might have to start thinking about uh, potential Shaquille Barrett replacement, that type of thing. If he doesn't come back, you know, I know they signed into the did. franchise. I think he resigned. Yeah. So, he did, he did, but I'm just saying, like long term, you know, yeah. you, you're gonna need to replace that production eventually. But, I'll um, say this: 
this team is the hardest team here in the top 15 to select for. They're a trade-down team for sure. Because yeah, I, th- I think Anderson so. Anderson at 14 I think is quite high. I think they can trade down to 2021 and get him there. With probably. Me. I think you're probably right. All right, Denver Broncos. Broncos at 15. This is where I'm going to go Henry Ruggs. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think you, get a, you get a player and you can slot him next to Cortland Sutton, and you've seen their, their intuition to go and get players for Drew Locke. I think they, they really need some weapons around him, and I think this is the guy that can kind of slot in and kind of do a few different things with. So I think this would be a good place for him to fall to. Yeah. I think simply, I, I, all that matters for me, as I did last year, I watched a lot of this guy play, Drew Locke. That's all this matters. That's all this pick needs to be about. It's about getting Drew Locke some extra weapons. You picked up Melvin Gordon, even though I don't agree with it. They picked up Melvin Gordon, adding another receiver to Cortland Sutton, who absolutely had a breakout year. It's a perfect pick, no question. Definitely. After you lose Emmanuel Sanders, you got you to put some production over there across from Sutton. Yeah. I was saving this guy because I said this is the perfect spot for this guy to land. Caleb on chase on goes to Atlanta. It's a perfect spot. It's, it's perfect from a system perspective. Uh, it's perfect from just a culture perspective. This is a guy that they love to build around his kind of skill set, And I think they can really do a lot with him. Yeah. He's, he's really explosive. This is a guy that I know I keep saying it, but there's a, there's probably more upside in him than there is just about anyone in this draft. If, if he gets it going and he can kind of clean up some of his technique and stuff, he is a really good player with a lot of upside and they need someone after they've, they've haven't exactly hit on their DNs the last couple of years. Yeah. I, I kind of compare him to a much better Tack McKinley coming out. I love the Tack McKinley selection coming out of for Atlanta. And I compare him to him in terms of how they used him in Atlanta but I also say this as well. I think he's a much better prospect, and they can develop him a lot better than Yeah, that. I agree. The upside is definitely there. America's team, Dallas. America's team. All right, Dallas. I'm going to go DB. I'm going to go AJ Terrell. AJ Terrell. Yeah. I um, think, yeah. I think that this is – a long lengthy lengthy corner. I think he's I think he's underrated and underscouted in the fact that he he was pretty good coming out of college. This is obviously somewhat high. It's but extremely I, high. It's extremely high and I'll explain why, but go ahead. I just feel the need for the Cowboys to get a corner after they lose Byron Jones. I think the upside here is still good. I understand he he's not like top at according to these metrics on on this website but i just feel like the scheme and his body type and that type of thing fits where they need him to play it's not just on nfl.com it's everywhere uh the guy fits for me better at the bottom of the class i think he fits perfectly with the niners and i think he fits perfectly with the chiefs i don't see the cowboys making this move over a guy like trayvon Diggs. so i think if you look at this list including terrell is the best cornerback prospect when you look at where we're, where we're at with the corners. I think Diggs is a really, really unique talent. As I said, elite height, weight, and, and length on the website. But not just that, I think 
you have that brother connection with Stefan, which means that he also has incredible speed as well. But he's really, really long and can really make some good decisions with the ball, especially at Alabama. I think he's just the right fit for this spot if you're looking at corner over a guy like Terrell. To me, I guess the the part with this cornerback class is I feel like after Okuda, I feel like all of them are pretty much equal. And that's probably just me, but I just feel like you're going to get a lot of guys who end up being the same thing. And that's why, to me, I'd, I'd go with Clemson guy over – and I understand it's not just – but I just feel like you're getting more of a, a – character building type of thing yeah I mean that's kind of the same thing with the Andrew Thomas thing it's the SEC it's the Georgia thing yeah I get it right but at the same time I think a lot more people are more highly on digs than a lot of than I think you're kind of underestimating that I honestly think digs while he's not up there in top echelon this class I think he's certainly up there in sort of the mid-range but definitely above Terrell I think personally fair uh the Dolphins this is where I go running back. And I have a tough time with this, but I'm going to go Jonathan Taylor. Um, I, I think he is the best running back in this class. He had a great combine. I think with these positions that are not very great, because, um, I mean, let's be honest, this is not a really excellent running back class, and you're going to see a bunch of these guys fall. Realistically speaking, I think you have to look at those combine numbers a little bit more heavily at this position than you would anywhere else. So that's where I'll go, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. Um, same thing like you were just saying with the cornerbacks. To me, this is a little high here for Jonathan Taylor. Um, but like you said, a lot of these guys are in the same kind of class as far as running backs go, where they're not going to be exactly – separating themselves from one another. I think it's kind of pick and choose where you're going. I just feel like with the Dolphins later pick, they're probably going to go running back rather than. I mean, I think that that need at running back is pretty big compared to maybe linebacker or anything else. I think it's quite big. Yeah. I see they might do that at 26, but for right now, I think that is the, I think that is maybe the right move in terms of just fixing that running back position and who knows where some of these linebackers or other positions are going to fall as well. Uh, I, I, I think I'll just stick with that one. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so we're at 19 with the Raiders. Um, I'm going to go Gross Matos here. I think Gross Matos. I had him going to the Seahawks. I think seven. that the Raiders need D-line. And I feel like this is as close to, as you can say, a replacement for Khalil Mack as you're going to get. I, I think that they need to find someone to get some pressure. Um, obviously, they've been building that defense for a couple of years now, and I think this is a piece that they desperately need is some pass rush. So that's why I go Ch- or Matos. Yeah, Montos. I Gross Montos is interesting, but I think he needs to be in the right system. I'm not sure about the Raiders in terms of D lineman development over a team like the Seahawks, where I think he fits a little bit better. But once we get to Seattle, we'll talk more about that whole D line O line debacle that they have. I I think it is a little bit high. I think we're kind of overrating a few of these guys. This is why this is our mock draft and not others. But I, I think it is a little bit too high. Yeah, I, I just feel like need here. I mean, yeah, sure we can 
you know, speculate trade out and stuff like that. But I'm I'm going need over, yeah, you know, best player available in some of these. Yeah, I I think with some of these picks and some of these teams, they might go a little bit high on some of these guys because of the need factor a little bit more than we might think. Yeah. Okay, at twenty, we got the Jags. Oh man, here we go. This is going to be a little bit more difficult than I thought. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about one guy here. You know what? I'm going to do it. Yeah, Trayvon Diggs. Trayvon Diggs at twenty, getting the cornerback position. You know, done done right. I don't know. I don't know what to make of the Jags right now. They can do anything really because they're in a rebuild at this point. Um, Diggs, I think, fits them well, but at the same time, I, I, I don't, I don't know how any of these players are going to really stay long term. They really have to reset completely. Uh, yeah, I think biggest thing for them, I think they just go best player available, if not trade back in most of these. So I, I think you just, I think you're looking to get some key pieces on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. All right, Eagles at twenty one. Eagles, I'm going to go wide receiver, and I'm going to go Justin – or let's see who we got here. We got – now, now that I'm looking at the board, um, I'll probably go T. Higgins here. Wow. I would go Justin Jefferson, but I think the size, that they really need someone on the outside that has some size, red zone threat, stuff like that. I think that's why I was going to go Justin Jefferson, but I think that T. Higgins is a – better red zone threat at this point than Justin Jefferson. I like Justin Jefferson and LaVisca Chenault a lot more. I think there's two teams that LaVisca Chenault fits best in, and it's the Eagles and the Packers. I think both of them really fit well in terms of the quarterback talent that is there. And we see all of the big issues that they had at receiver. I get the whole red zone threat thing with the Eagles, but Realistically speaking, they have way too many problems at receiver to be focused on just finding a not necessarily a pure red zone threat, but a red zone threat. Yeah, I I just feel like Alshon Jeffrey's been hurt so often. I, I really think you need a big body on the outside. I just I feel like red zone threat is one of the more underrated aspects of today's NFL. I mean, teams are really struggling to score in the red zone. And big body like that, he produced at Clemson. I just think you're getting good value there. Yeah. Um, all right. And then uh, I'll, I'll take Justin Jefferson. I'll take Justin Jefferson here. I really like him. I, I think he's really bounced up a lot of boards. Uh, I know that uh, Sims, uh, Chris Sims has talked about him as kind of comparable to some of these guys here at the top of the class, especially Lamb and Judy, he's really rised up a bunch of boards for teams. And I think he he's not as good as these guys at the top with Lamb and Judy, but he has some similar skill sets. And I think the Vikings will be very happy with this pick if he, if he ends up landing there at 22. Yeah, I think, I think he's actually a, a decent replacement for um... – Stefan Diggs. I, I think he's not as fast, but I, I think you're getting a similar type of route running capability. Like I said, he is a good red zone threat, so you're adding you're adding a little bit more there when Thielen's kind of the over the top guy. So I, I think that's a solid pick there. All right, New England Patriots, no Tom Brady. Where did they end up finding a spot here? Um I'm I'm just gonna go best player available here. I'm gonna go Patrick Queen. I think that linebacker, they really 
I think it's such a Bill Belichick thing to do, even though I feel like they should be adding a quarterback here. Uh, I will say it is probably a little bit high, but probably just best to go best player available here. And this guy is a really good athlete, really good player in the middle of the field. Uh, Patrick Kuhn is a guy that was very underrated for me until the combine in the last few weeks. I really do like his skill set. I think he's pretty underrated still by most accounts, but I really do like his skill set. I'm surprised Herbert and Love are still on the board. That, to me, is wild. Uh, but, yeah, no, Patrick Queen, I think, is probably the most Bill Belichick pick here. And so, yeah, yeah that's where I would agree. Um, let's see. Um, man, there are some options here. Man, you know, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it. Justin Herbert goes to the New Orleans Saints. Wow. I don't think he falls that far. I don't. But with all the reports going on with Drew Brees and then my night football booth thing, uh, Herbert uh, for the Saints at this spot, I think is can't miss. I think they're going to be like, okay, yeah, we have Drew Brees, but we can build around Herbert. I just don't think you pass it up if he realistically falls that far, this far, which I don't think happens. Yeah, I guess I kind of forgot about him after we kind of went through that, like, top ten. But um... No, but, no, it's fair because if you look at this, I mean, as we talked about with the Chargers, after the Chargers, if you look at this list, the Panthers, right, they got Teddy Bridgewater. The Cardinals, no. I think we all kind of know where the Jags are. I think they're pretty much going to stick with what they have. And then you look down this list, what team really realistically needs a quarterback? Are the Raiders going to take a guy? I don't think so. I think they're fine. I think they like Mariota. I think, they, I, I think they're okay with Derek Carr. Realistically speaking, I, I, I don't see another team just being like, oh, we need a quarterback. Well, I mean, I could see it. it to be honest, if you fell to the Jags or the Raiders, I could see them taking him. You know, Or even a place like – I mean, I could make a case for – a couple teams here but you know I just feel like after that first couple picks if he fell to someone like the Jaguars I wouldn't be surprised to see him go I'm I'm just after 10 I'm not really thinking about it just because you figure he's gonna go top 10 somewhere just because of the talent but well it's I think it's more that I think this is one of the most interesting times in history for the NFL um in that a lot of teams just really feel comfortable with the quarterback spots they have yeah, it's not necessarily perfect for a lot of these teams, but let's be honest, I think more than often if you ask the team how they feel about their quarterback spot, they're going to say, yeah, we don't really need to take one in the draft. Yeah, that's, why that, I, that's what I mean. I guess if he fell, I, I could see a team picking him up, but you, you're I, right. Not a lot of teams are like, we need a quarterback. So Right, we need a quarterback as much as a few of these other guys. So yeah, I mean – Herbert flying this far, I think, might make a few people pretty angry. But realistically speaking, I think teams are pretty comfortable with the quarterback spot. Yeah. So I think I think that the Saints getting Herbert is an absolute steal. But, I mean, with the whole uh, thing with Drew Brees, I think this is probably his last year. This would be the perfect pick if it actually happened, which is honestly quite unrealistic, to be fair. But either way. Yeah, it would be nice. It's, it's wishful thinking. Um. Vikings. Can I take a look at the cornerbacks here? Yeah, here we go. Corners. You got Bryce Hall, Christian Fulton, they're fun guys. 
Uh, Jalen Johnson's not too bad. The, the, the quarterback class definitely takes a good drop off, but there's still some talent here. And then the O-line? The O-line you're looking at, uh, yeah, the O-line's pretty much, I guess, done. I don't know what you would do there. Uh, receiver, you have many options, obviously. Um, I'll probably guess, go corner. I'll yeah, probably go corner here. And I'd, I'd, if, I, yeah. if I'm picking from this like, list, I'm probably going to go Fulton. He's been a late riser. He's got the right body type, the right type of um, – he, he doesn't – you know, he's not a buffet tackler where he picks and chooses, as they say. But uh, that's definitely something that's important in Zimmer's defense. So I think that that guy is probably what fits their scheme the most. Yeah. I like a few receivers at that spot, uh, but hopefully we'll mention a few as we go down. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good pick. Uh, Fulton, Fulton's a pretty good player in the Viking system. I think he'll fit well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dolphins. Okay, the Dolphins. What are we dealing with here? <laughs> this is tough now, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. Best safety in the class for me is Grant Delpit. Wow. It's weird, I know. I really like his skill set more than guys like McKinney or Winfield. Uh, I, I just think he is the best pure safety in this class over many people's accounts. But, you know, even looking back at him a year ago, he wasn't too productive last year, but look at him the year before. He was just so talented, really rangy, really fast, really instinctive. I don't think you can take that away from him. And that's where I go with Delpit. Yeah, um, to me, that's a little high for him. I, I go McKinney, and I just think that his versatility, uh, part of the reason they got rid of Minka is because he wasn't exactly flexible in the positions he was willing to play. But uh, we've seen McKinney play slot corner, stuff like that. I think you can move him around a little bit more, and I think he's even more rangy than, than Delpit is. So to me, safety is the right pick, um, but just a little different player. So. Yeah. All right, you get Seattle. A right. nice fan getting the hometown team. What a coincidence. <laughs> 27. Where yeah, did Seattle go? I'm going O-line here. And there's not much to pick from, but I'm I'm probably going uh, another late riser. I'm going to go Austin Jackson out of USC. And, and uh, it's a guy who also has a pretty good story. Um same thing you were talking about with Kinlaw, kind of grew up a little bit rougher, stuff like that. Uh, but I think the, the biggest thing here is with the guys remaining, he has the most upside out of anyone. He, he has a lot more that he can tap into than a lot of these other guys have. And uh, Seattle's known for kind of taking guys that have a lot of quote-unquote upside but don't always pan out. So I think this is yeah. probably a very Seattle pick. It, it's a weird, yeah, it is a very Seattle pick, but I'll also say this. I think that they've gone to a point this year, if you look at what they've done free agency-wise especially, I don't think they go line here at all. Uh, I think they're done picking alignment. After the monstrosity that was uh, 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 Fetty, I don't think they want to go line here. I think more than likely you're maybe looking at someone in the D-line. We forgot about this man, A.J. Epineza, who – has certainly fallen more than maybe we thought. But 
either way, I, I, I think they probably are going to skip the whole O-lineman thing and even go D-line. But even with that, man, like their development for those two positions have not been very good at all. Yeah. Um, I just feel like you really need to get a, some solid offensive lineman in here. And I understand they've, they've been doing it for however long, you know, where they're drafting offensive linemen. It hasn't exactly panned out. But I think you're better off trying to – either re-sign Clowney or get Ngakwe or something like that and kind of makeshift the defense rather than try and makeshift the offensive line like you've been doing. I just feel like it's going to get to a point where you really need to have some stability there. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's not going to take one draft pick in Austin Jackson for that to work. It's going to take no, another yeah. three years. It's going to be a, a while, but you got, you got to start it sooner or later. Yeah. It's definitely a long process. Okay. Oh, let's see what we got here. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. This is the perfect Ravens selection. Kenneth Murray. He just, he just feels like a Ravens player, just like the exact kind of physical talent that they really like to have, and a little bit of finesse as well. Yeah, this is, this is exactly where I had him going. So this is one of the ones me and you are going to agree on where – I think this is a perfect fit. I think this is a perfect, like, all around. I, I think it works for both player and team. And this is a need that they do need to address. I think this is one of the few aspects on that team that they're more or less lacking. So I think this is an explosive, rangy, fast linebacker to kind of put in that middle of that defense that they, they pretty desperately need. Yeah, I love that pick. Uh, all right, the Tennessee Titans. All right, Titans, I, I do think they need a defensive end. So um, what do we got left here? Yeah, I'll go A.J. Espinosa. Oh, and I think that up there too. A.J. Espinosa is the pick, right? Yep, Espinosa is the pick. And I, I think that this is a guy that is going to fall somewhere in these late 20s. I think this is a guy who has – is more – like I was saying with some of the Clemson guys, more of a kind of character building, a really good player, but I don't, I don't know that the upside is there as, as some of the other guys, but is really going to be a solid contributor. I think he really stacks up well among the rest of the DNs in the group. Yeah. Epineza, man, he was a, a top 15, maybe even top 10 guy at the start of the process. We got, you know, closer to the senior bowl and all, all these other games and stuff like that towards the Super Bowl into the offseason, he was a top prospect, but he had an absolutely atrocious combine, and that's going to really make him fall down, especially since he can't really prove himself at a pro day. Yeah, definitely. All right, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, there's a lot of fun options, but it's LaVisca Chenault. Uh, Chenault, I said, I think really fits them well. Um, I think he's the right receiver for them, and the Packers are looking for anything at receiver, and it's the perfect class to do it. Yeah, definitely. I think you could go in a range of wide receivers here. I think Chenault is a good pick here to pair up with Devontae Adams. Um, you could go Ayuk. Um, I probably would have gone QB. I pro this is probably where I would have had Love go. Um, yeah, Love has fallen too. Yeah, geez. Wow. But yeah, I I think it you got at a certain point you got to start thinking about Aaron Rodgers replacement, but um yeah, definitely if you're looking to just I mean, I think you're probably right. I think 
I think Love goes earlier than this, and they end up do taking a wide receiver. And I think if Chenault does far, fall this far, I think it is a really good pick for them to kind of prove that win-now mode. Yeah, and I think that receiver need is just so big, and it really burnt them in the playoffs. It just did. I mean, yeah. they made the MC title game, but they just they were just like the Eagles. They just didn't have it at that spot other than Devontae Adams. And that's, they just yeah. needed it that bad. All right, uh, you're up, uh, 49ers fan. Go get it. All right, I'm going DB here. And what I got left, I'm going to go Bryce Hall. Bryce guy. This is a guy who was really highly rated uh, last year, decided to stay in college, got hurt, you know, whatever. But um, when healthy, he looked like he was going to be like a top 10 pick. So I think there's a lot of upside here, and it's a guy who can – fit in opposite side of Sherman because I'll tell you what, the Niners need someone to step in relatively soon and get it going on the opposite end over there. Yeah, I think he can really mentor him well. It's not a bad pick. I, I really do like it. I think he can actually really fit that system quite well. Um, kind of a kind of a hybrid, obviously, what they do there at the cornerback mm-hmm. spot, but I think it fits him well. All right, the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, this has been a weird mock draft. This is why we do it naturally, so we make these weird mistakes, because we have. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think we can admit that we've made a few of them here. Yeah. Oh, man, this is, a, this is a tough spot here as well. Um, man, this is a really, really tough spot, because they – man. Um, I, I mean, they don't really need a tight end that bad. They don't really need much, in fairness, these Chiefs. They don't need too much. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll take them. DeAndre Swift, I think that's the fair pick considering the board. Um, yeah. I mean, if, if he falls that far, I think the Chiefs are foolish not to take him. They really need a number one running back, and he's probably the right guy for that spot. Yeah, they need a workhorse back. I think if he falls to that, that's a good pick. The other pick I could see here is some offensive line. Obviously, you got to protect the the interest of um, Mahomes. But um, yeah, I definitely think if you can get a workhorse type back at this slot, that's that's also a way you could go. All right, let's talk about a few players that we really like in this class that we didn't take. Uh, starting with the quarterback position with Jordan Love. Uh, Jordan Love. I mean, again, I think part of the reason that he fell this low is because, to be real, I don't think that many teams are really looking for a quarterback at this slot. Maybe Jordan Love, if Herbert goes at five and Tua goes somewhere else, Love could certainly fall to the Saints. I think the Saints have a lot of interest in getting a quarterback to replace Drew Brees, and Love might be the guy at that spot. But do you agree with the whole Mahomes comparison for a guy like Love? Um, I'm not as high on love. I think there's definitely some upside there, but I think people are quick to say that they're just going to find these kind of prototypes of guys that have success in the NFL, like right away. You know what I mean? I I just feel like it's the same thing we kind of did with Lamar Jackson where, Oh, there's a couple of guys like Hertz or something that we can find that can kind of be these type of players. But I think more or less, like I was trying to, tell you I think it was a couple months ago that you know I think you need to be forming systems for these guys and it's not just bring them in and force these guys to kind of do like your thing you kind of got to form it around them that's why I think Jordan Love is there's definitely upside there but I don't know that there's enough upside to take him 
early in the first round or even towards the later end of the first round, unless you are a team like the Saints that you've got Drew Brees, you know, coming towards the end here pretty soon or something like that. I, I don't see – I to me, I would just rather have more of a sure thing than a lot of hope, I guess. Yeah. Um. So Hertz is an interesting guy as well because Hertz is a guy that I think the, the Lamar Jackson comparison is very fair. I think he went up – I think I had him as a, a like a sixth, maybe a fifth-round pick, and then after the combine, which, by the way, was quite impressive, I think I have him up in the fourth round as a selection, a guy you can build around. I don't think he'll have a, a starting job in the NFL in the next five years, but I think there's a good sort of building block there as a nice backup quarterback with nice running ability. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's – third or fourth I've heard people trying to sneak him in the second round as of late and stuff and it's just too high for me for a guy that I feel like needs a, a lot of work it's not gonna be an overnight transformation like I think some people think and you know to, to his credit he's he's had his change of offensive coordinators and play callers you know so he's definitely adaptable and I think if he gets in the right spot I, I see him more as kind of a Taysom Hill type player almost um, let's go through two more quarterbacks here. Eason is interesting to me. Uh, obviously local here in Washington, uh, high school here in Washington as, as well, Lake Stevens. I, okay, this obviously, again, he's a better prospect than this guy I'm going to mention, but I'm going to mention it. Jake Locker out of Washington. Uh, re, I mean, obviously Eason will be a lot better and a lot more talented, but the guy really fell out at, at uh, what was it, at uh, Georgia. He really fell out of there. And it's partially because, yeah, he's, he's a thrower, but not much else. And he's got, a, he's got an NFL-type arm, but I don't know how, how long it's really going to uh, – how much a team is going to really develop other than that. And that's where I'm concerned. As the league is getting more in terms of running the football, especially at the quarterback position – uh, Eason to me is a much better Jake Locker type quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this. I think I don't know that I'm willing to take the chance on him in the first round uh, or even early in the second. I think it's a lot of arm talent, but I just think a lot of the other tape doesn't exactly match up. I think he fell out too quickly at Georgia. I don't think he had the year people thought he was going to at Washington. I, I just feel like some of the tape doesn't lie. I feel like he's a little bit too um, impulsive in some of the decisions that he makes. Um, but the arm talent is definitely something that people get in awe with. That's why I could see him going earlier than he should. But this league is not about arm talent. It's not. It's not about not anymore. It used to be, but this is not the early two thousands. We're in twenty twenty here. It's a much different. Yeah. I, no. I agree with you. I just feel like there's there's too many GMs and stuff that just fall in love with what could be rather than looking at what it actually is. And I'm with you. Arm talent isn't everything. and But you're going to have people go, well, look at Mahomes. Look at this. And people will fall in love with just the ability to flick the ball. But it, it has to be accurate. It has to be a lot of other things for that to be – Mahomes is different, right? Because Mahomes got in a perfect spot with the Chiefs. But not only that, he has a very unique arm. When he came out, he was compared to Brett Favre. The guy is not comparable to Brett Favre. 
not from a speed perspective, not from his ability to flick the ball in kind of a baseball form. It's, it wasn't, he's a much better prospect than what we expected coming out, but it's not the same as Eason at all. Well, I think, I think it's going to be system fit too. Like you said, I think if he lands in the right spot, I think he can be successful, but to Mahomes's benefit, he's lucky. He didn't, I hate to say it, but he's lucky he didn't end up in some of the spots that he could have landed up in. Absolutely. Very lucky that he got Andy Reid. And like I said with Lamar Jackson, he's lucky that he ended up where he ended up because if he landed up on some other teams, he wouldn't. And a lot of this is that. But that's why I'm saying where a guy like Eason could go higher than we think just because of the fact that someone sees the one thing like Andy Reid saw in Mahomes and – you know, you pulled the trigger. And I think that's the big thing with like a lot of these mock drafts and stuff is we're kind of speculating on where teams think that they can take this talent. You know what I mean? Or biggest team needs. It's like where I thought Eason would be a great fit in New England because I think he needs that type of mentorship where he can learn the game from an X's and O's standpoint and a mental standpoint. And I think he would have been highly successful. But now, if he landed in New England, I think it would be a disaster. I think New England actually fits with him well. Uh, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm not going to take Eason at 23 to New England. I'll take him mid-second to New England, and I'll be fine. Yeah. I think think it's a great fit, but – um, but I'm not going to take it in the first round. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, I'm with you. Another guy that, by the way, had a really, really bad combine uh, was Jake Fromm out of Georgia. A really a college-type quarterback, but his combine was not good at all, and he absolutely fell out of basically any team's favor in the first maybe two or three rounds. Yeah, this is another guy to me. I think this is more of the Alabama stereotype that I would put on a guy, you know, when we say Alabama quarterback. This, to me, he fits more of that mold where it seemed like he was really schemed up well at Georgia and he had a lot of talent around him, less of him being able to throw the ball on time accurately to places where it needed and I mean you saw that he, he didn't really show up big when you needed him to show up big he didn't really make the plays that you needed and when you thought they got rid of or when I thought they got rid of Easton I thought this was going to be a huge step forward to him rather than they both kind of tailed off it was kind of like a eh, for both of them after they they kind of split up which was really interesting to me because I thought it was really going to benefit both of them but it looked like it was more scheme than it was player yeah I think the combine showed that too. Uh, any running backs that you want to discuss particularly? Um, J.K. Dobbins, I think, is an interesting guy. I think he he's a really good back that's shown that he can be versatile catching the ball and running uh, in between tackles and stuff like that. Um, I think he's going to fall farther than he should. Um, but he, I think he's a really solid back that someone's going to get later on that that is, is going to be a really good player. Yeah. Uh, a couple other guys here at the top, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. I think everyone kind of knew who he was once he got to the playoffs. Pretty fun guy, pretty shifty. Uh, he's not, he's probably going to be maybe fourth or fifth round. Maybe uh, I think Dobbins is a much better player. 
And then, of course, Cam Akers, who really kind of rised up some boards at the running back spot. I'm not really sure what to necessarily make of him, but yeah, I think those two are going to fall far. But if they go to the right organization, as we said, for most of these guys, they can really make some kind of impact, I think, both of these two. Yeah, Edward Solaire is a good scat back. He's going to be a good uh, Deion Lewis, James White type of back where it's more pass catching and that kind of thing. I, I would like to see Edward Solaire, if he fell to, you know, New England, I think that would actually be a good fit for him later on in the draft. But Yeah. Uh, receiver, I, I mean, there's a lot we can go into. Any specific receiver you want to discuss? Yeah, the one to me that sticks out on this list is Ayuk. I think he's a really, really underrated compared to some of these wide receivers. Um, obviously, you're going to get that when you're Arizona State Pac-12. You know, it's not exactly the greatest reputation. But this guy is really good off um, – after the catch, he's really physical. Um, but I think he's really going to be a difference maker. And then outside of that, Denzel Mims, I've heard in the oh, third I round. Love Mims. That was my guy. He, he's going to be a really good sleeper pick for someone oh, in that second, God. third round range. He's, he's the perfect second round selection for any team, especially a team that needs a receiver. I wouldn't be surprised even if he goes in the first round. He has such unique talent, especially speed-wise. We saw it perfectly at the Combine. Nobody talked about him headed into the Combine. He absolutely bursted through a very good, as we said, wide receiver class. Mims is a really fun player, and he can really fit with any of the 32 organizations in the NFL. I agree. That, that's one of my sleepers in this draft. Uh, any thoughts on Reger and Hamler as well? Uh, I haven't seen too much of those guys, if I'm being completely honest. I feel like um, I just feel like after the kind of top echelon that we were kind of talking about, like we said, I feel like a lot of these guys are in the same kind of group, but I feel like it's a really loaded wide receiver class. It's very loaded. Uh, I think Regler and Hamler are fun because they're kind of catching traffic guys. Guys can really go up and get the ball. Uh, Michael Pippen is fun too. I've seen some of his YouTube clips. He talked to some great stuff about the combine on his YouTube channel. Uh, but not only that, I think Pippen was a guy that I think a lot of people at USC were expecting a little bit more out of, even though he was really good last year. Uh, USC had a lot of talent that just because of the coaching staff there, because of the system and everything else that's going on in that program, because it's honestly been a mess for the last few years, um, it's really undervalued Pipp Pittman more than I, I probably would have hoped. Yeah, definitely. I think this guy has a whole lot of talent. He's really that – he can be that number one receiver, go up and get the ball type of thing. So, I mean, he, he's an exciting prospect that I think is going to slip, like you said, due to lack of coaching staff and stuff like that that was available to him at USC. Yeah, because USC always has some nice talent, um, but it's, it's just the, the coaching and just sort of that entire program system that's just been an absolute mess. Yeah, definitely. Um, this guy as well, Chase Claypool, is weird. Because I – do you have Claypool as a receiver or a tight end on your board personally? Uh, I, I'd probably go tight end. I kind of like these bigger wide receivers transitioning to a tight end in today's NFL. Um, just a comparison to me, obviously being a Niners fan, we, we drafted Jalen Hurd last year. Not a lot of people know him. But yeah. uh, he, he's the same type of frame as this type of guy. 
and there's more of them coming out in today, but I think you're going to see more two tight end sets, and that's where these guys can really be more effective because you're going to get more mismatches. So I think it's better for these type of guys to transition into a tight end rather than just be, like we said, maybe just a red zone threat wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, Chase Claypool's hard, man, because I don't know where he fits. A lot of teams have him as a bus pick, honestly, based on what I've heard. I'm not too surprised. I just don't know where he fits. And yeah. it's a tough one. Uh, tight ends, do you have anybody specifically at the tight end group? Because I have one. I mean, I could do Cole Komet. Uh, I guess looking down the line, I, uh, I'll go Hunter Bryant just because he's a local product. Um, another guy that was talked a lot about coming in to the University of Washington, but I don't know had the performance that we were all expecting him to. Yeah. Uh, Thaddeus Moss, injury issues are going to make him fall. He's had, a, I think, a couple surgeries uh, in this offseason, unfortunately. But the number one tight end in my, in my draft board is Albert Okwe-Ibanam. Uh, I really like him a lot. I think if he came out last year, and he should have came out last year because he wasn't too impressive this year out of Missouri, but uh, looking at his tape from last year and even a little bit this year, he just had so much just raw talent, as I say, size and speed. But not only that, I just think he's a really, really good overall tight end. He's being very undervalued to me, partially because last year or this year at Missouri, he just wasn't as good as the year before. And you want to see that leap junior to senior year for a guy like that, one more year of experience, and he unfortunately just didn't show it. Yeah. Um, going back to Thaddeus Moss, I think that's another guy who slips in his – has benefited from being kind of that almost wide receiver body, but kind of shifted into that tight end role. I think he, he's a good pick later on. Yeah, I think the injury concerns are going to be tough for him, but we'll yeah. see. Oh, I mean, I don't think there's too much here to discuss. Uh, it's kind of, we kind of ran through most of the big guys here. Um, okay, so I'll go Ross Blacklock here. Uh, a guy out of TCU who I, I think really fits sort of in a West Coast team like the Seahawks, for example. Uh, I, I just think he fits those kind of systems a little bit better. He's a guy who really rose up the board in the uh, early part of the offseason. Uh, but I, I do think he has a potential in the right team to really be effective. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some upside there. I. I wouldn't be opposed to him going to a team like the Seahawks. I think you're right. I think that type of scheme fits him best. Um, but to me, the the name that's going to stick out on this list is Marlon Davidson. I think you're getting a real glue guy who who's a really good DN piece that complemented um, Derek Brown at Auburn. I think he's, he's a nice piece that, that can really help a team. He's more of a bigger end, but um, I think he definitely sets the edge pretty well. Yeah, I, at Auburn, those two were fantastic, and it's I think it might have hurt Marlon Davidson's stock, but he can definitely go pretty high. Uh, yeah. Raekwon Davis, a little bit of injury concern there, but I think he was really good at Alabama. He's probably not going to go in the first maybe two rounds, maybe a late second guy, but whoever gets him and maybe gives him a year to just sort of figure things out, uh, I think he's going to be quite good. Yeah. I, I agree. You can always go Alabama D-line, right? It's yeah. usually a pretty safe pick. Yeah. Jarby's uh, Zuiga, I believe is the guy's name. Zuiga, well, I forget how to say this guy's name. Really good combine. A uh, guy that really impressed me during the combine. Good speed, good size, good route runner. Or excuse me, not route runner. Good, like, 
pressure. Uh, right in these bag drills, if you watch some of the bag drills for Zuniga, really great field work uh, for him during the combine. So that's a, that's a guy who would go back and watch uh, his combine tape. A really, really good combine there. Um, linebacker, I don't think there's too much here. Do you have anything in specific? Zach Bond, I think, is a really solid, going to be a really solid NFL player. Um, probably slipped off our board a little bit too far. Probably late first, early second round for him. But he, he's a good instinctive linebacker that is is pretty rangy. So I think that's that would be a good pick for someone late first, early second. Yeah. Uh, corners, let's see what we got here. Corners, uh, anything uh, in specific here? Um, I'm not sure too much. Yeah, the, the I, cornerback group. I think really we pretty much covered the corners. Yeah, safeties. Uh, Xavier McKinney. You kind of touched on him a little bit. What do you like about him as the number one safety on your board? Yeah, I just like the versatility. Like I was saying, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick obviously uh, didn't really want to move around. This guy is known for being able to move around. I think he hits a lot harder than people think too, but he's also very rangy in the secondary. He's got a lot of range to him. But um, I think the versatility is what sets him apart from a lot of these other guys on this list. Uh, any thoughts on Antoine Woodfield out of Minnesota as well? Another guy that's been pretty high on people's boards. Yeah, another, another pretty instinctive kind of high IQ player. I think this guy is also – in that upper echelon of these safeties that I think we can kind of interchange. Um, he's definitely higher on the board. I think after him, you're, you're kind of looking at hit and miss, but I think McKinney, Winfield, and Delpit, you, you're, you're pretty safe as far yeah, as safety goes. For sure. Uh, I think that's pretty much it uh, for, for that group. Um, I did want to get to some UFC before uh, I let you go here. Um, yeah. I... So first, give me your whole thought process to Dana and what he's trying to do, trying to put on this event, especially kind of where we're at now. Yeah, so I'm not – I can't say that I'm exactly opposed to it. Um, I, I feel like it's a little bit of a money grab, though. I feel like, you know, he's, he's – and Dana's always kind of been that way, but I feel like this more than anything is – He's, he's understanding the market for people wanting live sports. Um, I don't know that that's great, you know, to market it that way. But, you know, the UFC is lately has been going towards, like I said, kind of money grabbing type of industry. It's been less about the fights and more about the leading up to the fights. Um, I don't know if you saw, but apparently Dana's also – investing in some island where he's going to yeah. be flying the guys. Private that, island. Yeah. We don't so, know where the heck it is. So to me, it, it's just getting a little bit weird to me. It seems almost like it's just becoming like a Mortal Kombat game where we're just going to fly guys out and have them fight in a ring by themselves. It's a little odd to me. Um, yeah. But I, I see both sides. I can see the point that Dane is making, obviously – you want sports to continue. Obviously, me as a fan, I want to see fights. But at a certain point, you know, with if everything shut down, maybe it's time to look in the mirror and kind of shut it down too for a little bit, you know. But I, I, I mean, you have to be worried about the health concerns, man. Not only for these fighters, I mean, 
some flights involved here, right? Even if it's a private plane to a private island, who cares? I don't, if I'm a fighter, I don't want to take that risk. And I mean, at, at this point, as you said, like, I think the ESPN deal, unfortunately, even though I think they've done a good job with the deal so far, it has become a little bit more of a money grab business. I just don't, I just don't like they're putting it on at all. Cause let's be honest, we know that the main event at this point, but what about the rest of the card? How many of those fighters actually want to fight during this time? I think more than likely they want to be with their family and keep in touch with their friends. They don't want to worry about having to go to the gym every morning for an entire day and do a normal routine because really not much is normal. Yeah, I agree. And it's probably definitely obviously changed some of the training habits for these guys, you know, or girls. So I'm sure it's, it's a little bit harder to be able to do some of the things that you're used to doing. Um, but it's definitely a little bit concerning to me when, if everything else is shut down, that the UFC still proceeds with this type of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what this, uh, what this town on the West coast is. Is it like North Dakota or something? I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll be really interested to see where, where this is going to be, but yeah, I mean, your guess is as good as mine at this point with Dana. He, he's, he's all over the place. So. I see. I so it was the whole Vegas thing, right? Even for the NBA, they're like, "Oh, we could probably do things in Vegas." And I think the NHL yesterday said North Dakota maybe as a spot. And I'm like, okay, this might give me some clues into maybe what Dana might be doing. But even on top of that, I, I just don't know. I just I understand the craving for live sports. I get it. You and me as fight fans want fights, but realistically, I don't know how much I want to focus on a fight um, at this point with this situation. But not only that, I. I I just I'm so worried about the safety concerns because what happens if some, God forbid something does happen and I just yeah. don't take that risk. Yeah, I agree with you there. Plus, you also have to take into account what what goes on in an athlete's mind when there's absolutely no one in the stands. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's really hard. And these guys are professionals, you know, they're used to fighting, but it's definitely a lot harder when you're just in there by yourselves. I think it definitely alters the actual fight itself also. Yeah. And, I mean, what were your thoughts on the Brazil card in terms of them being no fans? Because I think they gave us a good sort of parameter as to what we're expecting at UFC 249. What were your thoughts overall in terms of the atmosphere of that card? It, it's just hard for me to watch, to be honest. It, and I, I don't mean to sound spoiled, but when you're so used to, you know, having that like crowd hype and that goes for any sport. That's why I was a little bit concerned when the NBA said they were going to go without fans, you know, and you heard LeBron talk about, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. I play for the fans. I think it, it just alters what I feel like are a lot of minute things in the game that we don't really see, but do take effect. I think with the UFC, in particular, especially with that Brazil card, I wasn't at, I was shocked at first, I'll admit. But I think the biggest thing for me was thinking about just like, like this is basically Tuesday night contender series, except there's no 50 fans in the crowd. It's almost like Tuesday night contender series. And I'm like, eh, this isn't so bad because if you're used to watching Tuesday night contender series, I've watched a few of them here and there. It's very much like that. And it's fun to kind of hear the corner and like the corner man, because at least that makes it feel a little bit more normal. 
I, I, I didn't, it, it was, a, it was a shock at first, but as you went through the card, you're like, yeah, this is like a Tuesday night contender series card in ESPN plus, And that's it. Yeah. I just feel like you're going to struggle when you get some of the bigger, bigger names involved. You know, obviously you're talking about less of, how do I say it? Like not less important, but less watched, you know, less, yeah, the type. It's because those Brazil cards. I'm gonna be honest. Like, I probably wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for the fact that there were no sports, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, exactly. And I think that's where you're gonna have troubles getting the bigger fighters to do it because I feel like the bigger fighters are used to a certain type of atmosphere. Also, you know, it's you're gonna struggle to get bigger names on the card. Yeah, but you're yeah. right to just a lower seated or something. It, it's it's not too much worse than what we're used to. Yeah. Uh, Ferguson versus Gaethje in a random West Coast location, UFC 249. Um, what what excites you about this fight? What do you think it is from a stylistic perspective? What's your analysis on this one? Yeah, this is definitely, I think, going to be a lot better fight, I think, that than we were going to get with Khabib. Um, first off, I do want to say, Khabib ducked it again, okay? No, I, know, I know that's not a popular opinion, but he definitely ducked this one. You um, can't say that, man, because he needed to go back and be with his family. You can't hate on him for doing that. You just can't. I, I just feel like if he's flying around to all these different places, all these different places as it is, he, he could have made it there, okay? I'm not, I understand family, whatever. But when you've already been doing it, it shouldn't be that much different to now do it, okay? At this point, it was too complicated. And even either way, the Russian government wasn't going to let him out anyway. It's, I, I don't fault him at all because, to be honest, we didn't even know. We got to the point where it was going to be in Vegas, in maybe California, and then, uh, you know, Abu Dhabi and then Russia, and then we're at now some random location. How is he supposed to keep track of it? Even for Ferguson, like, I don't understand you're supposed to keep track of it. Again, we go back to the fact that, to, let's be honest, we shouldn't even be having this argument because we shouldn't even be having the card. But then again, here we are. That's kind of my point. I know that you can fault the guy for wanting to be with his family, wife, and kids, or and all that. I, It's... I'm not blaming him for that. I just feel like if other people are doing it, it, it's it's a little bit lame of an excuse for me to kind of say that you can't do it. Uh, but all all that aside, this will be a better fight than what we would have got. Just because we're gonna get we're gonna get two guys that are gonna stand up. Khabib, and I I like watching Khabib but you're going to have more fans who are engaged just because of the fact that you're going to have two guys who are willing to stand up more. Khabib wins on the ground by submission a lot. You're going to get Gaethje who likes to slug it out. Ferguson likes to slug it out. It's going to be less of a wrestling match. So I think it will end up being a better fight overall. Uh, for these fights, especially, um, you're talking about two sort of stand-up fighters, especially Gaethje being the, the power hitter, the fun guy that he is trying to make it, you know, big, obviously for the fans, but in this case, we're probably not going to have that many people in, in the arena. But even so, like the big, when we have these two stand up fighters, I think, especially for a guy like Ferguson, I think you have to take it to the ground. I don't know if Geishi will be able to let you, cause I think he has pretty good takedown defense, but even so 
I think the ground game is going to be huge for Ferguson, and that's why I would pick him to win this fight. I I also am going to go with Ferguson. Um, just because, like you said, Ferguson's ground game is a little bit underrated. Uh, he is known for standing up a little bit, but he does have really good ground game. And I think that's where he's going to take this fight now that it is against Gaethje rather than if it was with Khabib, I think he would want to be on his feet a little bit more. But Gaethje isn't known for being a wrestler. Obviously, he does have decent takedown, but it's it's not going to be hard compared to what Ferguson is used to, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, I'll go, let's see, I'll go Ferguson, third round submission. What about you? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go Ferguson, second round submission. I, I think it's going to be a little bit quicker. I think Ferguson was really gearing up for Khabib, and I think he was really going to be ready. I'm curious to get your thoughts, though. If Khabib and Ferguson did fight, who, who were you going to go with in that fight? I was going to go Khabib. Uh, I thought it was going to be a five-round kind of ground game slugfest, but I certainly would have gone Khabib. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I would have gone Khabib also. I I really wanted Ferguson, um, but I just feel like Khabib is is honestly too much on the ground. He he's a real animal when he when you get him on the ground, and I don't know that Ferguson's ground game is is ready for that type. If you were to have him stand up a little bit. I think Ferguson would win, but I just feel like Khabib on the ground is another level of athlete. Yeah, uh, I think for uh, – so I think one other piece of, of that fight uh, that I kind of want to get to, and I think you probably uh, understand this a little bit more than I do because I kind of kind of gone the tail end of this, but this fight has been booked five times, Khabib yeah. Ferguson. And, and, and I think the last time they booked it, not this time, but the last time they booked it and it didn't work when uh, Ferguson had that freak accident at Fox where he stepped on the cable and, you know, all that stuff yeah. was crazy. Uh, you know, at that time, uh, Dana was like, I'm done booking this. And then, you know, I, I mean, feasibly you have to book it at some point as long as these guys are up top. But at this point, is is it reasonable to say they should just stop booking it? Like six times is enough. Let's move on. Um, for me as a UFC fan, I I want to see the fight happen. Um, I just I agree with you. It's really died down after the first couple. You know what I mean? After you get a couple of these where it's supposed to happen and it doesn't happen, it really does kill kind of the the momentum that you had going for it. Um, I. I think they're going to still book it, obviously, just because of who Dana White is. And I think the way it's transitioning to, I I would not be opposed to it just being done with because I'm kind of tired of these two. And I'll be honest, it felt like they're both kind of ducking it one way or another, you know, here and there. But it, it's gotten to the point where the intrigue of the fight is so much less than when I first heard about it. Hers, like the first time, I was so excited. It really, really sounded like it was going to be a good fight. And at this point, it's like, well, is it going to happen? That's your first instinct. Yeah. Uh, that it's it's so ironic. It's it's if it never happens, it will be one of the weirdest stories in UFC history. It will because it's one of the weirdest things. It, it just, doesn't. Everything about it is weird. Everything. It, it is. I think at some point you have to be like, okay, we're just I, – I wish the UFC would do this. I know it's more of a WWE thing, but I, I really feel like the UFC needs to just pick a random card and say, you two are fighting on this card. 
here's the contract. We're not going to announce it. And then, like, the co-main before the main event is – so we have, like, the normal five fights, and then we have, like, one more. We have Khabib Ferguson, and no one knew until that fight – until they actually came out. Like, I think they, I think the UFC needs to just be like, we're not going to announce it because we, we're going to jinx it again or something's going to happen. I mean, might as yeah. well do it undercover. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I get what you're saying, but that's that's my point about the the way the UFC is going. Is it feels just too there's too much hype around each fight. It feels less and less of a fight rather than a marketing scheme. Yeah, but even on top of that, I think that would be perfect marketing. Just be like, here's like UFC 250 and wherever they're doing it, or wow, well, I don't know, maybe like a New Year's card or something. And then people freak out because they realize, oh, my God, we're going to see Khabib versus Ferguson on a pay-per-view, and we didn't know. And, yeah, it might piss people off. I get that. But I can't be, like, I, I don't care if it pisses you off because here's the deal. I You're see- just sitting in the corner. Please, please give me Ferguson, Khabib, Ferguson, Khabib. And then you get there, and it's – I don't even know who uh, – I mean, honestly, I just want it to be like, I just want them to bring him out for a fight and nobody knows. And then I get that people would be pissed off. Like, you should just set it. But if they said it, something would have happened. Like, you know, just. The jinx just, factor. Yeah, just like, that's all I'm saying. Do, do yeah. you, you see where my head's at here? No, I, yeah, I can see it. It's just, then when people get some two guys they never heard of as the main event, you're going to be like, what the hell? You know, and then you're... Well, what I'm saying is that they have the normal card. So it's five guys, five fights, normal card. And then before the main event, they just have the guys come out. So it's going to be six fights instead of five. And they're going to just have Khabib Ferguson come out for the co-main and no one realizes it. I know, but what... Are you saying that for every fight or just for Khabib and Ferguson? Just for Khabib, for just a one-time thing. No one knows. Oh, oh okay. I see, I see. I thought you were saying like, I thought you were saying like every fight, just have like one surprise fight and you're just no, sitting no, no, there no. praying. No, no, that's a terrible idea. I mean, what? <laughs> one time they do it just because I need to see the fight and we're yeah. Then, then you'd have great marketing. You're right. You'd have everyone buying tickets to every fight because you'd just be hoping that this was the one. You'd, you'd literally sell out of everything. It would just. Well, they be- wouldn't. They would. The, my whole thing is they would. They would give them the contract and they would say you have to absolutely silent about this. Nobody can say anything. And then once we get to like UFC 250, where the fight, like they make a contract and say UFC 250, but you can't tell anybody. And then for like what was supposed to, like. You have like four fights and the co-main, or you have three fights and then the co-main, and then Khabib and Ferguson come out, they do that fight, and then we have a regular main event and we're done. Yeah, so that way you're not killing the hype leading up to it, saying, oh, they're going to fight, they're going to fight, and then all of a sudden they don't. Yeah, it just happens, and then people are flipping out. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, and then it's happening, and it's UFC 250, and Khabib's coming out of the tunnel, and Ferguson trips on a wire and hurts himself. (laughs) <laughs> and then and then everyone got their hopes up for nothing just to see him come out of the tunnel i i hope that they, they just they would just take everything out to make sure they wouldn't trip like i i don't know man they that signed the, they, they signed the contract and a week later ferguson's hurt and they're like what ferguson's hurt oh at least he wasn't gonna fight until 
eight months, and then they're like, actually, Ferguson was supposed to fight next week, but (laughs) (laughs) that would be funny. So how has quarantine been going for you? Last kind of topic here. Yeah, it's it's going. You know, I'm hanging in there. It's it's hard to adjust to, but you and me have talked, and I finally got on video chat with you last week, and I it was kind of refreshing what you said to me, where you, you kind of just get to take a step back. But it's definitely hard. I I was talking to you, and you know, I'm so used to going, going, going all the time. But there's definitely something to being able to take a step back and kind of reflect on things for what they are and the times that you did have like not necessarily to take it for granted and you know so next time when it does come around it is it is refreshing yeah I think the biggest thing for me is the reflective piece like it's I'm again as I said I'm quite used to it uh I said in the previous pod and I said to you I'm quite used to it but I think what's hard for me is just at night just realizing like the situation we're in and why you need to be grateful for everything because I can't, I can't imagine how I I couldn't, you can't imagine when you're younger, think about the idea that going to the grocery store becomes somewhat of a luxury or something even that simple, not just like obviously hanging out with friends and stuff like that, but something even that simple. Very true. You know? Yeah. Very true. You you take these things for granted and you're right. It it becomes a sort of a luxury, but you know, it's the smallest thing you do every day the smallest of things you take it so for granted until something like this happens unfortunately yeah definitely I, th- I think that it's a good time for people to reflect on like you said the things they do have and what they do take for granted like just going to the grocery store or being able to hang out or just recently I've started to actually now that I've slowed down a little bit here I've actually been like looking at the stuff you're sending me and sending a text back you know when you're like <laughs> Hey, look at this news. that up in the pod. <laughs> you, usually, usually you send me the news and I look at it, but now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to send something back. It's like, it's a little bit refreshing to have that dialogue, you know, where. You know, that, I don't know why that's funny, but it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's good. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm terrible about texting back. And I spent the first two weeks and I was like, why do I have nothing to do? And then I was like, you know what? Every one of these articles that I read, I can actually create a conversation with someone and I can actually do this. Like this can be how I pass time instead of just reading it and being a jerk, not sending anything, you know, to people. I can actually send something back and actually like have an open conversation with someone and it will be nice. And it's actually nice because I'm used to just being so busy where I'm just going, 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 but. But but the only reason I'm sending the news is like for stuff like this, or just to like have some, we can have dialogue. We don't have to, but there's just a bunch of interesting news, but I guess it's fun to have dialogue. That's what I'm saying though, is because like, usually I'm just going all the time. So I'm used to just looking at it that for the first week or two that I was in quarantine, I was so used to just looking at it. But then I, we video called and, you know, I'm like, oh, I got a lot of free time and it's, we can find ways to still be invested with our friends or whatever, where you can still pass that time and enjoy conversations and do stuff instead of just being angry that I'm locked up in the room all day. You know what I mean? (laughs) There's something, there's something to it. (laughs) You know what I mean? 
But it's so funny for me too, because it's like, it's like, I, again, like as I said, I'm quite used to just like the day to day of like, all right, I have homework. I have this, I have this, I have this, but like, I'm kind of used to like the, I guess the lock, not really locked in your room mentality, but just moving around the house and doing stuff around the house and mm-hmm. then outside where it's like, you actually go to work or you know stuff like that i think that's kind of the biggest thing not necessarily the locked in the room thing but the idea that you're kind of i'm kind of just moving around the house instead of having the ability to go maybe outside once in a while and go for a walk or things of that nature if that makes sense yeah no definitely and that's what i mean i i'm not i'm not saying that in a in a negative or bad way it's it's actually more healthy for me to be able to text back when people are texting me and that goes for everyone you know what I mean like my dad at work or something sends me a text and I'm used to just looking at it but now I'm sending something back I have the I'm slowing it down and you can actually like digest things and have dialogue and yeah and and I reflect with people and that that's that's what I found out that I enjoy the most is because usually I only get that like when I hang out with my friends or me and you go do something or me and Anna go, you know, to on a date or whatever, but it's more, it's even more rewarding when it's the little things that you're doing that way. Yeah. I, I think that's, what's so interesting. And, and this has been, uh, this is why I like being friends with like the people I'm friends with the groups that I have because mm-hmm. they're so it's, it's not this necessary, like in, in, in the social media world that we live in today and because of how fast things are, never realized that we could kind of like sit down and have a text conversation or even like do a podcast as we're doing now or I mean that's specific to us but you know what I'm saying like yeah just talking and things like that like I think for some people it's just like okay we're friends on social media this that and the other but you never really have real natural like conversation I think more often than not people are starting to have that more often because of the time piece Definitely. That's, that, that's the bigger thing I was trying to articulate is that usually I just seem like a jerk to people because I'm just... I, I wouldn't say that because I think more often... And, and, and I wouldn't say that because here's, here's, the, here's the fact of the matter. The fact of the matter is you're doing so many different things that sometimes people send you a certain thing and you can't just come back right away. Like even now, I'm not necessarily coming back right away because I'm still doing stuff, you know what I'm saying? But yeah. at the same time, I, I don't think it's necessarily a, a jerk thing. I think it, it's just something that I feel is quite, I guess, the not exactly the right word, but I think somewhat commonplace is this idea that you'll send a particular thing and then you'll read it and be like, okay, this is interesting or whatever, but you won't respond until later on or things of that nature just because life is so fast, right? Yeah. Life seems like such a fast moving thing it's not necessarily a jerk thing. It's more of just the way life moves. Yeah. It's just more, it's just more rewarding when you have that time to slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is quite interesting, but I I think it's, I I just think the biggest thing for people is just, as you said, dialogue conversation is huge. Yeah, definitely. I I think to be able to create that dialogue and that, like I said, that time to appreciate things is what's, like most beneficial even like i'm playing video games with people now that i never would be playing or having time for 
but it's not exactly playing the video games it's just that that conversation starter or whatever yeah definitely all right man well that's it for the podcast uh thanks for uh coming up with this sort of idea this is pretty fun yeah it was kind of i i know it was last second but i thought it would be a little more organic but it, it was a lot of fun i appreciate you having me on your show and doing a podcast and i hope we can do this again soon because I, I really enjoyed it and we can find some other topic besides nfl mock draft or something we can do here shortly. yeah absolutely i mean look there's still so many good sports topics going on right now even with all this stuff happening and i would definitely love to get you on the real show soon especially as we get to the draft and after the draft uh, we're definitely going to be working alongside you, of course, with all of us trying to figure out what we're going to do for the draft. Uh, but that's maybe a little bit uh, teaser-ish because we'll see what's going to happen at that point. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thanks again for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing it. So uh, really I, hope stay, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy, you and your family. So Same with it, you, man. And, it's, and good take some, out there. it's good to take some time to talk, though. Get, yeah, good to absolutely. catch up. So. Uh, hope you I hope everyone out there enjoyed this just a little extra extra for everybody I know everyone is uh, craving some content so I hope uh, you all enjoy that and uh, give us your feedback give us your feedback on our mock draft that I know a lot of you will probably disagree with uh, yeah send us back some some of your guys's mock drafts though oh yeah you know what I would love uh, nfl.com slash predict your pick I believe is what it is I'll put it uh, on our Facebook page and all of our other social media stuff um, as well. So yeah, send us your mock drafts. So we'll post ours as well. Give us your thoughts, all that kind of stuff. So again, thank you very much, Cole, for joining me today. And thanks for everyone coming out and uh, listening as well. Yeah. Thanks Robert for having me on. Thanks for everyone listening and uh, hope to do it again soon. Yeah. Stay safe everybody.